I remind you this whole month we're reading from the King James Version as that would have been the text our founders had when they read Scripture this morning. Listen for the word of the Lord. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the word of God for the people of God. Go back with me to the summer of 1771, Commonwealth of Virginia. There is a Baptist preacher on a Sunday morning gathered with his flock in the great out of doors. He is preaching the gospel when they begin to hear the faint, perhaps, hoofbeats of horses. As they continue to worship, the sound gets louder and louder until they can see a group of men on horseback galloping toward them. They ride right up to them. By the time they get there, everybody recognizes the two leaders of the pack. One is the local sheriff. The other one is the local priest from the Church of England. They jump off their horses. They run over to the Baptist preacher. They take him in hand. They stick a horsewhip in his mouth. They take another one and begin to flog him in front of his congregation. You see, in that day, in that place... The Church of England was the official church. And they had established that nobody could preach the gospel without applying for a license that they would grant and the state would approve. The Baptist objected on principle, saying it's not the state that gives us the word of God or the right to preach the gospel. It is this. It is the word of God that calls us and gives us the right to preach. So none of the Baptists would apply for a license. So they became criminals in the eyes of the officials. Unfortunately, this was not a single incident. It was not that isolated. It happened a number of times across the colonies. In fact, many people, our records indicate, were arrested and jailed simply for being preachers of the gospel who had not asked for a license. Young James Madison lived just within miles of where that incident took place. Shortly after that, he went on up to Princeton to further his education. While at Princeton, he fell under the influence of the president there, Dr. Reverend John Witherspoon. I've told you about him before. He was a great patriot, a signer of the Declaration. You'll see him in the play if you come. Reverend Witherspoon was a great believer in religious freedom and religious liberty. Madison shaped his thoughts while studying at Princeton, moved back to Virginia, was elected to the legislature, and was part of the group that crafted what came to be known as the Virginia Declaration of Rights. It was passed just shortly before the Declaration of Independence was written and passed. There was a draft of the Declaration in Virginia that talked about the toleration of rights and of conscience that magistrates should obey. But Madison didn't really like the way it sounded because the toleration really left the power in the hands of the authorities to apply as they wished. 
And he said, it's not a matter of toleration. It's a matter of respect that all people should be free to worship, should have a free conscience to think and to speak in any way that they wanted to as long as they were not injuring their neighbor. And so he helped craft some different language that eventually became part of the Virginia Declaration of Rights. It was voted on June 12, 1776. I've put a portion of that in your outline. The way Madison helped craft it said that religion can be directed only by reason and conviction, not by force or violence. And therefore, all men are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion. John Meacham, one of our great American historians, has written a book called American Gospel. In it, he points out that this Virginia Declaration of Rights moved the thinking of our founders and our, moved eventually our country's path from tolerating different religions to respecting all of them. And it finally ended up in the language of inalienable rights when it came in the Declaration. But what Meacham says, we need to remember that this was groundbreaking and world-shaking in terms of a step in terms of freedom. That this was not the norm on the planet. This has not been the normal practice of governments or of countries to recognize these kinds of rights and this kind of freedom. Persecution, even today is still very common for people of faith, depending on who's in power and who's in control. And if you hold another view, it's easy to be arrested, to be jailed, to be persecuted, sometimes even to be executed. It's true for Christians around the globe in many parts of the world to still suffer that kind of persecution because whatever country they're living in does not recognize this idea of the freedom to exercise your religion. I'm afraid of us we here in America too often take this for granted. We come and go to this place whenever we want to. We stay home whenever we want to. We have the freedom to decide. And we don't worry about the sheriff being out here on the corner or the police coming to our home because of something we've said about our faith or about God or because we've gathered with others to worship. And yet that is still true for so many in the world today. Michael Novak in the book On Two Wings that I've been mentioning to you that talks about our founders and the faith at the American founding talks about this very thing. I've put one of his quotes. I thought he said it so well. It's in your outline. He says, in pursuit of their own happiness, human beings have a propensity to trample on the rights of others. This tendency has made religious liberty fragile and very rare. I'm not sure that we always remember that. I want us to remember what that is like, how fortunate we are, how much we should appreciate and value the freedom that we have to gather and to worship in whatever way we see fit, and that our government will not interfere with that, and we will not be persecuted, and we will not lose our jobs, and we will not be put in jail, and we will not be put to death. We could scarcely imagine someone standing up to preach the gospel and being flogged for it in America, and yet it still happens. And it could have been our fate. Those were dissidents, those Baptists from the Church of England. Methodists were dissidents 
of the Church of England that could have been our fate. In our text today, though, Paul reminds the early Christians in Galatia and reminds us that we should go a different way. Paul is talking about freedom in Christ. He's talking about even a deeper kind of freedom than our government may give us. He's talking about a change of our hearts, a change of our spirit that leads to a change of our lives. Throughout that book of Galatians, he's talking about a context where there is a struggle between circumcision and uncircumcision or the law and freedom in Christ. And he calls those early Christians to follow the spirit of Christ. And do you remember what those two verses said that we should do? I want to read them to you again. Here's Paul's admonition to them and to us. Ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh or for selfishness or for ego, but by love serve one another. And then in verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Pursue love. That's what Paul is saying to those early Christians. That's the guiding principle we still follow today, that we are to exercise our freedom of religion, but not in just any way. We're to pursue love. We're to serve one another in love. That's who we're to be as Christians. That's the way we can exercise our freedom of religion, is to love one another. But there's another illustration from our founders that I think can help us here. It reminds us that we need to be ever so mindful of this human propensity, as Novak puts it, or human sin, if we were to use theological language, and how easily we slip over into sin, how easily we forget this teaching, the teaching of Jesus as we go about our everyday lives and find ourselves sometimes trampling on the rights of others. You know, it's really easy to begin to think that because I believe it and I think it's right that everybody ought to think the same thing. And it's really easy to think, well, because I believe it, it must be superior to what you believe if you disagree with me. Or if your practice is different from mine, you must be bad or wrong or a sinner. And when we add hateful action or force or violence to that belief, I think we've strayed from this teaching to serve one another in love. Or to love our neighbor as ourselves. And yet we see that kind of behavior all the time but love of God and love of neighbor are our guiding commandments as Christians loving one another is what Paul calls us to here this illustration I want to share with you that comes from our founders comes from July 4th 1788 by this time the Constitution has been written the states are beginning to ratify it on that day, it had already been ratified in Pennsylvania, and there was a big parade in Philadelphia. Dr. Benjamin Rush, who I've told you about before, who's the signer of the Declaration, was there. He wrote in his journal that it was a beautiful day, and there was a cool breeze in Philadelphia, which was rare for July. He writes about that there was this grand celebration with music and parades, and there, there, there was this wonderful procession. But he, he, he notes particularly that there were religious leaders in this procession 
And I want to read just a, a section of what he says because he talks about this being a new day for religious affairs in America. He writes, The clergy formed a very agreeable part of the procession. They manifested by their attendance their sense of the connection between religion and good government. Pains were taken to connect ministers of the most dissimilar religious principles together, thereby to show the influence of a free government in promoting Christian charity. Rush goes on to note the rabbi of the Jews, Jacob Raphael Cohen of Mikvah, Israel, was locked arm in arm with two ministers of the gospel, and it was a most delightful sight. There could not have been a more happy emblem contrived of that section of the new constitution which opens all its power and offices alike not only to every sect of Christians but to worthy men of every religion. Or as another observer wrote, the Jew joined the Christian, the Episcopalian, with the Presbyterian. Our founders established not only a place where we could be free as Christians to worship, but they established freedom of religion for all religions or freedom to practice no religion at all. They recognized the right of conscience and of free choice in these matters. As Christians, we're free to serve in the government or not. But whether we choose government service or not, we're free to live with what Dr. Rush calls Christian charity. That we can be generous in spirit and serve one another in love and love our neighbors as ourselves, despite whether or not we serve in political office. That we can live that kind of life because we have this freedom to exercise our religion in any way that we want. Now, some of us find ourselves in conversations. This has been true of me. I'm talking with other Christians, and we begin to lament this idea that Wednesday night is no longer reserved for church, and Sunday is no longer reserved for church, and so people do other things, and we begin to complain. You know, there's sporting events, and there's movies, and the stores are open, and so many things on television, and people stay away, and isn't that a crime? And we feel that way. I mean, I know it can be vexing, especially when it's your own family member that's chosen to do that. No offense, folks. <laughs> Family's right down here. Um, but I think we can do better than complain. I really think we can do better than complain. What if we use this, this cultural shift away from protection of the church to sharpen our thinking in terms of our own faith, to sharpen indeed our own witness in terms of how we live our lives? What if we took this as a challenge to live our lives as a vital and living light to other people? What if we decided that every decision we make is going to be based on, I want to share the love of God with whomever I encounter. I want to shine bright the love of God and the abundant life I know in Jesus Christ. What if that was the challenge? Rather than complaining, what if we said, this is our time to step up? 
We'll be living and vital witnesses to this faith in which we believe, and therefore others will have opportunity to see it and to experience it and come into the family of God and into the family of Christ. I put in your outline, no competition contributes to lazy discipleship and weak witnessing. I don't know if it's always true, but I think it's generally true. And I'm not sure the cultural shift is such a bad thing for us as people of faith. I think it's perhaps a real opportunity to be a light again to people who maybe don't know the love of God through Jesus Christ. Did you see the Time magazine cover this week? It was a full-color photograph of protesters from Egypt. But the publisher of the magazine left one side in full color and then colorized the other side. And one side they put world's best protesters. And on the other side they put world's worst Democrats. And it was a comment on their ability to govern themselves. I'm in no position to judge the Egyptians. I have no idea about that. I don't have the background or the training to comment upon that. But it did remind me that at times we can be the best and the worst at the same time. We can be the best church-going Christians on Sunday and turn around and be the worst witnesses on Monday. Same person different choices our challenge really is to be at our best and be the best churchgoers on Sunday and to be the best witnesses throughout the week that depends on choices we make what kind of witness this will be the choices you make throughout the week determine what the witness of the Boston Avenue church is in this community what if we determined we wanted to not only be great churchgoers and have great worship, but to be great witnesses everywhere we go? To make sure that everything we say and do is motivated by the love of God and Jesus Christ. What difference might that make in our country, in our community, in our neighborhood, in the places where we live? John Wesley, who's considered the founder of Methodism, toward the end of his life was reflecting on what had happened, on the many ways God had worked through the Methodist movement. And he wrote that he did not worry about the Methodist movement dying, but he did worry about it becoming a lifeless sect. And the phrase he used, he said he, he worried that we would have the form of godliness without the power of God. He admonished the leaders to make sure that they were nurturing faith among their people so that we were looking to God to receive God's power so that we would be powerful witnesses of what life looks like if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the challenge I want to leave you with today because it's so easy for faith to erode. Oh, a doubt creeps in that we don't deal with and it erodes our faith or, or the practice of our Christian habits of going to church or private prayer or receiving the sacraments or studying God's Word. Oh, we just begin to let them slip away and before long our, our faith is a bit lifeless, our witness is a bit weak. 
Or it can go the other way where we become so fired up and so zealous and so sure that we're right that we decide to judge those other people and beat them over the head and decide that they're not as good as we are. And I think still then we have lost this teaching, which Paul and Jesus would remind us of. Let's do what Paul says. Let's use our liberty as the King James Version has it. Not for an occasion of the flesh, but by love to serve one another to love our neighbor as ourselves. What if we determined to go out of this place and say, I'm going to go serve somebody else in love this week. I'm going to love my neighbor this week. I'm going to live my faith with great gusto. That would be a great way to exercise your freedom of religion. May it be so. Amen, and thanks be to God.